0: Hi, thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. This week, we are continuing our sermon series titled New, which is taking us through the book of Ephesians. Today, Caleb will be looking at the text Ephesians 1, 1 through 14, and we'll be focusing on the theme of identity. In this sermon, Caleb will be looking at how the picture we have of ourselves is often vastly different than the one God has of us. He looks at how the enemy wants us to see ourselves through a lens of shame, which pulls us away from God and fixates our gaze on ourselves. Whereas God's voice glorifies what Jesus has done on the cross.
1: Well, good morning. Um, I'm seeing some new faces again with us this morning, and so I just want to introduce myself. My name is Caleb. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, we're so glad you could join us this morning. And uh, thanks to the worship team as well, that was really good. Uh, sometimes we, we plan the songs, uh, sometimes the Holy Spirit works, and they just come together, and they just fit with everything that we're going to be talking about. Um, and it's always cool to, to see that. So, we are studying the book of Ephesians together. And uh, I hope you've had some time this last week to read through the book and just spend some time with it. Um, But if you missed last week, we introduced the book of Ephesians. And we're just trying to establish a common language around some of the ideas that are in the book. Uh, So we talked about the idea of the hidden mystery of Christ that's revealed in the book of Ephesians. The mystery that Christ is actually seated on the throne and he's ruling and reigning, even though sometimes it doesn't look that way to us. And we also talked about the powers and principalities and how Jesus has defeated these things ultimately through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Um, And this morning, you know, we've called this series new. And um, we're talking about the new humanity. We're talking about how everything that belongs to Christ now belongs to us as his church. Um, And so I want to start us this morning with a question around identity. And the question is simple. Do you know who you really are? Do you know who you really are? I'm not asking who your spouse thinks you are not who your parents think you are, and maybe not who your kids think you are, not your boss, your colleagues, not your friends, not your Instagram or your TikTok followers. But when you're all alone at the end of the day, your phone is off, it's just you and God in the quiet. Do you know who you really are? There are a lot of voices competing to answer this question for us. And only one of these voices is God's. And we know that God's voice is often still and small. Tim Keller says that at the core, the deepest desire of every human being is to be fully known and truly loved. So I was thinking about what are some of the different ways that we see people in our culture expressing themselves and expressing this core desire to be known and loved. I think there's a lot of examples that we could think of, but this week I couldn't get past the idea of the personalized license plate. And maybe you know this, that these are actually called vanity plates. I didn't know that. Here's a good one. Uh, I don't know if you can see that. It says, I am poor. Um, I had to put this one up because that was my first car. It was a, a Ford Focus like that, exactly like that. I was thinking, the car kind of already communicates that idea. You didn't have to put it on the license plate. Can you go to the next one there, Joel? Con man, Uh, I think it means Connecticut man. Um, But I don't know, that's maybe not communicating the idea that you want to to send into the world about you. I've got another one here. You gotta love Texas, just says your mom. I don't know what that's all about. I saved the best one for last. This is for the parents with kids and you're taking a big road trip. Pee before we go. Just a reminder for your kids to make sure they handle that before you go. And look at this one, the slogan, live free or die. That is the most American thing I've ever heard. Wild Rose Country, I think we should update that. Live free or die, I really like that. The point is, we all wanna be known. We wanna be noticed. Sometimes we express this in strange ways, like with these license plates. But I think if we're really honest, these core desires are at the heart of a lot of the things that we do as people, right? Ultimately, we wanna know that we have value and, and that we are loved. And the reality is, for all of us, that these desires to be fully known and truly loved can't actually be satisfied by other people. Now, other people's love is a necessity of life, but other people can't actually know us fully. And while they can love us truly, they can't love us perfectly or unconditionally. We have these built-in limitations around human love. We can't even fully know ourselves. So whenever we try to get our deepest sense of identity from others, apart from God, it always ends with an experience of deep shame. Because at some point we realize and we discover that the people that we've allowed to love us, maybe they didn't actually know us as well as we thought. Or maybe we experience rejection where we open up We let ourselves be known, and then other people decide not to love us. And both of these experiences are really painful. And the reality is that the experience of being fully known and truly loved can only come to us from our Creator, our Heavenly Father. So we're going to get into Ephesians 1 right now, and I'm going to read from chapter 1, verses... 3 to 14, so it's a long section, but it's communicating one idea, so it's important that we read the whole thing. And we're going to talk about this new position that we have in Jesus. That's what we're talking about this morning. So I'm reading from the Passion Translation. This might be a little bit different from yours. I'll pick it up in verse 3. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful Heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus, all because he sees us as wrapped into Christ. This is why we celebrate him with all our hearts. And in love he chose us before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes and with an unstained innocence for it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus the anointed one so that this tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace for the same love he has for the beloved Jesus he has for us. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure since we are now joined to Christ we have been given the treasures of redemption by His blood, the total cancellation of our sins, all because of the cascading riches of His grace. This superabundant grace is already powerfully working in us, releasing all forms of wisdom and practical understanding. And through the revelation of the Anointed One, He unveiled His secret desires to us, the hidden mystery of His long-range plan, which he was delighted to implement from the very beginning of time. And because of God's unfailing purpose, this detailed plan will reign supreme throughout every period of time until the fulfillment of all the ages finally reaches its climax, when God makes all things new in all of heaven and earth through Jesus Christ. Through our union with Christ, we too have been claimed by God as his own inheritance Before we were even born, he gave us our destiny, that we would fulfill the plan of God, who always accomplishes every purpose and plan that is in his heart. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to long for the messianic hope, would be the first to believe in the anointed one and bring great praise and glory to God. And because of him, when you who are not Jews heard the revelation of truth, you believed in the wonderful news of salvation. Now we have been stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. He is given to us like an engagement ring as the first installment of what is coming. He is our hope promise of a future inheritance which seals us until we have all of redemption's promises and experience complete freedom, all for the supreme glory and honor of God. The word of the Lord. Last week I said Ephesians is dense. <laughs> There's a lot there. So I'm going to go over everything that Ephesians 1 just said about us in case you missed anything. Just said, according to that text, we are the following. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We are united with Christ. We have been chosen before the beginning of the world. We are holy and without fault. We are adopted as God's beloved children. We are free and forgiven because of Jesus. Our sins have been removed. We're recipients of God's kindness, his wisdom, and his understanding. We are bringers of both praise and glory to God. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit, which guarantees that one day we will be completely like Jesus, our true selves. When you wake up in the morning and you look at yourself in the mirror, is that what you see? Because this list of blessings that we receive is what should lead us to praise and worship and give glory to God with our lives. And just a little bit later in Ephesians, Paul talks about our new position So, I'm going to read that as well. I'm going to read Ephesians 1 19 to 23, and then I'll jump ahead to Ephesians 2 and just read verse 6 because the ideas are connected. Find my spot here. I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. This is the mighty power that was released when God raised Christ from the dead and exalted him to the highest place of honor and supreme authority in the heavenly realm. And now he is exalted as first above every ruler, authority, government, and realm of power in existence. He is gloriously enthroned over every name that is ever praised not only in this age, but also in the age that is coming. So this is what we talked about last week, this reality that Jesus has been exalted to the highest place. He's in authority. He's in charge. He's working out his plan in this world to redeem it and to bring heaven and earth back together. And now this is the astonishing thing in Ephesians 2, verse 6. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection of authority in the heavenly realm, for we are now co-seated as one with Christ. So this is the first part of Ephesians two where Paul is saying that we are now also seated in this place of authority with Jesus. these passages tell us a lot about our identity. But they also tell us something about the character of God. Whenever we learn something about ourselves, we also learn about who God is. So let me read now a list of the things that this passage tells us about God. God is not withholding any blessings from us in any way, on any level, God is looking at us the same way he looks at Jesus. God has chosen us for a special reason. He wants us particularly in his family. God is not looking at our faults. Rather, he sees us as holy already. God is a loving father who considers us his own and takes responsibility for us. God is not holding any sins against us. God is not withholding any kindness, any wisdom, or any understanding from us. God is happy to receive praise and glory from us. God dwells within us through the Holy Spirit and promises to ensure that we will become everything he ever intended us to be. God is taking us seriously, he has put us in a place of influence and honor with Jesus, the throne room of God. And God is willing to listen to us and to act based on what we say. Does this fit your picture of who God is? Honestly, does it fit your picture of who you are? Does it fit? I think most of us would say no, if we're being really honest. And the reality is that our picture of God and our picture of ourselves are connected to each other. If we're not seeing God clearly, we can't see ourselves clearly. And we definitely can't see other people clearly. Yet our passage for this morning tells us that this is who God is and this is who we are. So where is the hang up? Where is the disconnect between this passage and our lived experience. And I think the real hang up is around sin. It's how we think about it and it's how we talk about it. This passage says that we are holy and without fault and that this is how God looks at us, that he is not holding any faults against us. We are free and forgiven, our sins have actually been removed and God is not meditating on them in any way. Paul states this very clearly before he even gets to talking about sin in the letter. And when he does talk about sin, he's talking about it in the past tense, about how we used to live before we were united to Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Every relationship in our lives is transactional in some way. The way that other people see us and interact with us depends on what we do. And unless we're being told otherwise, our default, our assumption, is to assume that our relationship with God is transactional. And so a lot of church life has been built up talking about sin, fixating on sin, focusing on the many ways that we still fall short. And when I say sin, I'm not just talking about the things that we think we're doing wrong. I'm also talking about the things that we think we should be doing, but we're either struggling to do, or we're just plain not doing them. And there is still a voice that speaks to us loudly about these things, these shortcomings, and it wants us fixated on them and focused on them. And at different times, I think, many of us have actually believed that this voice is God's. That somehow God's mission is to show us, to shame us, and to show us how bad and rotten we really are. And if we listen to this voice long enough, it distorts our picture of God. And this always distorts our picture of ourselves and our picture of others. So we start picturing God as this cosmic scorekeeper. And in his book, He's keeping track of our failures, our shortcomings, our flaws. I'm gonna give you some examples of how this voice sounds. I think it'll be familiar to you. So God's there, he's got his big book, and he's saying, oh, there he goes, losing his temper with his kids. Oh, he's so easily frustrated. Oh, how could I ever use him? Oh, there she goes, not loving people the way she should. She definitely could have done more for that person. Or this person, she could have been more compassionate. She definitely could be more loving. She could be more gracious, more kind. Wow, there's a lot of work left to do here. Or there they go, hanging out with the wrong crowd. Again, when are they gonna understand? I'm looking down on their, them and their behavior. I wish they would clean themselves up. Or why don't they pray enough? Why don't they read their Bibles more? Why aren't they doing more for the poor and the marginalized? Why aren't they better neighbors? Do you notice how this voice pulls at us and tears us away from our heavenly father? And it gets to the point where we don't even want to approach him. We don't even want to say his name because we're so full of shame. And so we start to distance ourselves from the father. We get so fixated and focused on ourselves and all the ways we fall short that we lose sight of Jesus and what he's done on our behalf. We judge ourselves by these broken standards, then we turn around and we judge others by them as well. We feel so far from God and like we're just not good enough for him. And then we read passages like this in Ephesians and it just feels hollow. How could this possibly be true? when God must just be thoroughly disappointed with us. This voice is not God's. This voice is not God's. Do you wanna know what our God actually writes about you in his book? He writes your name. He writes the number of hairs on your head. He writes a record of every tear you've ever cried, and all the pain you've ever felt. He writes about it, and he feels it. We have to stop letting this accusing voice of the enemy diminish and minimize the work of Jesus on the cross. And now I know some of you are thinking, but, well, Caleb, doesn't the Holy Spirit convict us of sin? Yes, he does. And I want to make this really clear. There is a major difference between the voice of conviction and the voice of accusation. Conviction is what comes when Jesus and what he has done is being glorified and magnified. Conviction is what we feel when we are in awe of Jesus. When we're saying, wow, Jesus, you're so amazing. Look at all you've accomplished. Look at how great you are. Conviction is when, through the worship of Jesus, and exaltation of Jesus, we recognize that we have actually been undervaluing ourselves and others. If you look at where the word sin comes from, it has to do with with archery. And so it's when the archers were aiming at a target. And you could say it, it means missing the mark, but you could also say it's aiming too low. So if the Holy Spirit is talking to us about sin, he's not pointing out where we missed exactly. He's saying aim higher, aim a little bit higher. And how does he lift our eyes so that we can aim higher? The Holy Spirit always, always, always glorifies Jesus and emphasizes who he is and what he's done and takes our eyes off ourselves and puts them on Jesus. And this is how sin gets removed. This is how we aim higher, because we experience the glory, the love, the power, and the presence of Jesus. What about the voice of accusation? The voice of accusation fixates and focuses on us and our sin and our problems. And who does this voice of accusation attack? we think it's attacking us. It's not actually attacking us. It's attacking Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. And that's how you know it's the enemy and not the Holy Spirit. Because this voice is telling you that what Jesus did, who Jesus was, what he did, it's still not enough. It's minimizing and making small the work of Jesus on the cross that has come to set us free. Oh, but you still gotta prove yourself. You still need to be good enough for God to accept you. You still have to do fill in the blank, right? Whatever it is. I want you to really hear this. The Holy Spirit will never ever make small or light of the work that Jesus did on our behalf. Never ever. This voice is the enemy. And the word, the Hebrew word, Satan, is translated accuser. This is his voice, and it's the voice of a defeated loser who is desperate to get you thinking his thoughts about you. Sadly, the church, we have empowered the voice of accusation. And we don't only empower it when we point fingers at ourselves and others and say, oh, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. We empower it just as much when we point fingers at ourselves and others and say, you should be doing this, you should have done that. Shoulds and shouldn'ts are two, two sides of the same coin. And the coin is the law. And scripture says that the law failed. And Jesus had to come and fulfill it. And scripture also says that the law actually makes us sin more. Because the whole point of the gospel is that we cannot earn salvation or adoption for ourselves. It is a hopeless pursuit. God alone has paid the price and made a way for our adoption into his family. And when we get this, our lives become a response to this amazing act of God's love and kindness. And in our response, we have to take the gift of adoption and work it into our lives with our faith. I wanna give you a picture that I feel like the Lord gave me for this. But imagine you're making bread, and the bread represents your life. You have everything you need to make this bread, but the yeast is missing, and you can't get it on your own. Then Jesus comes along, and he gives you the yeast. This represents your adoption, your salvation. It's a free gift. Great, now you have the yeast. You're both standing there. You're ready to make some bread. Jesus wants you to take your hands, your strong hands that he's given you. That's your faith, and he wants you to use them to work it into the dough of your life. He's not gonna do this part for you because he respects you too much and he's given you the strength, he's given you faith. It's a gift of his Holy Spirit. So we have to take the gift of adoption and salvation and we have to work it into our lives with faith. We have to empower it the same way we sometimes empower lies. We have to empower the truth about who we are. And it's not enough, we've gotta learn to preach and apply the gospel to ourselves. It's not enough to come to church and hope that you hear the gospel and hope somebody reminds you who you really are. We have to take it and we've gotta work it into our lives. Because all week long there's so many accusing voices. There are so many voices telling you you're not good enough and you'll never be good enough. And it's all lies. Jesus died to make a way for us to be with the Father without fear, guilt, or shame. And we can't allow the enemy to turn around and say that his sacrifice wasn't enough. We have to pick up the sword of truth and fight back. And we're gonna get into this more when we talk about new weapons in Ephesians chapter six, but it applies today as well, because this is an important part of accepting our new position in Christ. So when the voice of accusation comes against us, speaking lies, we have to open Ephesians one and tell this voice where to go and how to get there. This, This accusing voice comes from hell and we have the authority of Jesus empowering us to command it to leave us and go back where it came from. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. I had this revelation about a year ago. Um, one of my friends, he's a very prophetic man. And he, he was praying over me. And he was praying for a spirit of adoption. And uh, that the Lord was going to lead me into this time where he showed me my identity in a deeper way. So God was doing this work in me. Um, shifting some big things. And and these things were getting tested by the voice of the accuser. So I found myself often going to God in prayer, repeating the accusations that I was hearing from the enemy. So my prayers were sounding like this. God, I'm sorry I'm not very good. I'm sorry I keep falling short. I'm sorry I'm such a disappointment. A lot of guilt and shame. But then, the Holy Spirit flipped something in me like a switch. And he said, stop telling God what the enemy is saying about you and start telling the enemy what God has said about you. What has God said about us? We are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We are united with Christ. We have been chosen before the beginning of the world. We are holy and without fault. We are adopted as God's beloved children. We are free and forgiven because of Jesus. Our sins have been removed completely. We are recipients of God's kindness, wisdom, and understanding. We are bringers of both praise and glory to God. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit, which guarantees we will become the people We were always meant to be. We are seated with Christ in the highest place of authority, in the throne room of God. And our Father listens to what we say and acts upon it. So when this voice of shame and accusation comes against us, we have the freedom, the authority, and the responsibility to say no I will not diminish what Jesus has done for me on the cross. What Jesus has done is more than enough to cover my past, my present, and my future. And this is what adoption is all about. This is what Ephesians one is all about. This is what it looks like to take the yeast of salvation and adoption that Jesus is giving us freely and work it into the dough of our lives. And do you know what the result of this is? It's the wonderful fragrance of freshly baked bread and that's what God experiences when we as his children put our faith in who he says he is and how he sees us. It takes great faith to believe that what God has said about us is true and what God has said about himself is true. We're gonna sing a song. The band, I'd like to invite you guys back up. We're gonna sing the song before the throne of God above. And the song talks about everything that we have been discussing this morning. And I want to ask you to stand, if you will. And in a few minutes, I'm gonna pray, but I invite you to just to just close your eyes right now. Okay, there's nobody nobody's looking at you. It's just you and God right now. And I just feel that the Holy Spirit wants to release a greater gift of faith on us this morning. And so if, if God has been speaking to you in any way this morning, I invite you, just open your hands in front of you. It's not magic, but it shows God that you're listening, and it shows him that you want to receive what he's offering you. Because faith is actually a gift of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to pray right now that the Holy Spirit will give us that gift. And I want you to pray in your heart and ask him to give you more faith, to bring an increase. He's willing and he wants to do that this morning. Let me pray. Father, you're so good. You're so good to us. There's so many lies about you in the world. There's so many lies about us and who we are. Would you give us the faith to hear what you're saying to us To see us the way that you see us. Lord, I pray over every open hand and every open heart that you will release faith right now. And I pray that our faith will rise up to the glory of this song. These words are full of faith. And I pray that our faith will meet these words this morning. And that that fragrance will be so pleasing to you, Father. I thank you for every person in this room. They are here today today this morning for a reason. You brought them here for a reason. Lord, we give you glory. We give you thanks. You are so good. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for joining us today. For more resources to help further your study throughout the week, you can go to vbchurch.ca forward slash sermons.